everyone. Welcome to another episode of the fifth season of Bring the Virtual Balance podcast, and that's brought to you by the Office of Health and Wellness at Brook College. I'm Isabella, and I'm joined by my fellow pause peer mentor, Nisha. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Nisha, and I'm glad to be back on the podcast. As a small reminder, at the Office of Health and Wellness, we offer lots of yearly programs, workshops, such as sexual education, stress management, public speaking, and more. And as PAUSE, which stands for Peers Advocating for Wellness Services, we encourage healthy lifestyle choices through a variety of events, and all of our programs relate to the, to the dimensions of the wellness wheel, which are emotional, intellectual, spiritual, occupational, social, environmental, and physical. Um, uh, so... Today we are going to talk about um, living with loss part two. Uh, as you guys might know, we had part one um, and it explained what grief is, why we experience it, and the different types of loss that can cause grief. Um, and today we'll be focusing on the part after, which is what to expect um, and how to actively move forward. And with that in mind, we'll be focusing on the emotional and social components of the wellness wheel. And those relate to um, coping effectively, creating meaningful relationships, developing a sense of connection and belonging, and um, building a strong network that can support and guide you when you need it. With all of that in mind, um, let's welcome our guest speaker, Catherine White. For those who didn't get a chance to hear our first episode, would you mind introducing yourself quickly? Yeah, so... So my name is Catherine. I am a licensed master social worker, and I completed my training as a trauma counselor at a community high school in Brooklyn. Um, and also I work in research at the Center for Prolonged Grief at Columbia University um, at Baruch. I'm a student success coach, and I also have taught the first year seminar, as well as in gear, which is a class for students who have been academically dismissed and reinstated. Um, I work primarily with students who are um, at risk of being dismissed, so those who fall under the 2.0 GPA. Um, I also work in the boss office, and um, yeah, that's Thanks. a little, little bit about. Um, so mm -hmm. again, for those who didn't get a chance to hear our first episode, and for those who didn't, I think you totally should. Um, it's available on Spotify or will be available soon for everyone to hear. Um, so let's recap what we talked about very briefly. Um, what's grief? Why do we experience this? What, why, what kind of losses can cause grief that aren't just death? Totally, and I think um, I just want to be mindful of time because I had a lot that I wanted to recap, but I think given the audience, um, the reason that we kind of focused on college student bereavement is, is kind of a unique population. Um, Oftentimes, college students are away from their normal support systems. It's their first time away from home. Um, and just combining, you know, academic demands, um, lack of grief support, you know, from their peers, high rates of substance misuse, suicide ideation, suicide completion. Um, you know, you're faced with all these developmental tasks of developing a clear sense of direction, entering into what is supposed to be your lasting relationships. Um, creating, you know, a stable identity for yourself, regardless of the circumstances, and, you know, really building on your career, kind of regardless of the circumstances. So you kind of have this situation that is 
unique to the age group that you all are in and also makes it really difficult um, to kind of handle a, a great loss when it happens. Um, and something that we talked about in the first episode was just kind of like the mechanics behind grief. Um, and so I can just kind of go into a little bit so that we can get to the, the ladder of like, what, what to do? What, what are we going to do now? Um, but essentially, we as humans are, you know, programmed to seek and maintain close attachment relationships. Um, and we resist greatly from separation from these attachments. Um, this is in broader terms called our biobehavioral system. And within this framework, we have our attachment system and also the exploratory system in our brain. Um, and our attachment figures, so these are the people that we are close to, um, help us to maintain our cognitive functioning, our self-esteem, our problem-solving abilities, um, our relationship to others, even our immune system, our sleep quality, um, and even how we experience different pain intensities. Um, and so, you know, these these figures also serve as a foundation for our exploratory system, which I just mentioned, and that is our desire to go into the world and create and work and play. And so can you can imagine that a loss of these um, attachments will really wreak havoc on our brain, on our body, on the whole system, and they do. Um, and so this is considered the acute grief stage, and it typically, typically lasts about six months, but it can go on for longer. Um, and so this is, you know, the time when, you know, it's a disruption of these regulatory systems. And so kind of what we discuss in terms of like the stages of grief um, can also be reframed as a separation response. Um, and so everyone's, you know, separation response is different based on the relationship of the loss. However, um, there are commonalities and themes. And so I like to point that out because I think that the narrative of you know, everyone grieves in their own way can be very isolative. Um, and it kind of puts the the grieving on the bereaved person where it's like, everyone grieves in their own way, go do it in your own bedroom. But in reality, we are kind of programmed as humans to attach. And we also have the ability to detach, which is the acute grief stage. And so I think just normalizing it is a lot less isolative. So I want to just bring that out. Um, and so just quickly recapping, because I'm trying to be mindful of time, because I know I could go on forever on this. But um, this, when the loss first happens, these feelings like really dominate um, the person's life, it's kind of like center stage. Um, and so again, when people kind of discuss what are those stages, um, it is more a combination of different feelings of proximity seeking, which is like yearning, sadness, longing, insistent memories of the person you want to talk about person, place, or thing all the time. Um, I like to open that up because we also, in the last podcast, discussed, you know, non-death losses. Um, protest feelings, you know, you have, you hear that term. Um, so that could be like the bargaining term, but those are like anger, anxiety, remorse. Um, anyway, so the loss is center stage during this zero to six month. Um, you can also think of it as analogous to physical wound. So um, first, it's really, really intense, uh, but your body does, you know, kick in the natural grieving process. Um, and of course, this is made a lot easier with the help of supportive systems, um, which is, again, why I really advocate not to isolate a bereaved person. Um, we also talked about the concept of disenfranchised grief. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the times, especially in grief literature, um, the focus is on death losses. Again, you know, where the research is, that's where the money is. Um, and so I just wanted to like validate also just because it might not be necessarily super dominant in the research, 
world doesn't mean that it's not legitimate loss and legitimate grief. Um, and so I think we talked about, um, you know, even the example is like divorce, you know, it's not legitimized in the workplace. You don't get divorced leave, but it is a huge, huge loss with so many different like legs to it. Um, and so I think that's analogous to like um, a breakup, you know, for a student, which in itself, I think we touched on that a little bit huge loss with a lot of implications. Um, and so, and that can also be loss of not only the person, but the place and the things and the friendships and everything that is involved in attaching yourself to another human. Um, other losses we discussed that, you know, you can also have those same grief reactions that we just touched on above were loss of opportunity. So a lot of that during COVID, loss of job, loss of a place, um, um, even attachments to a place um, has been shown to help us maintain a sense of well-being and identity, um, routine, familiarity. Um, and so as humans, we love, you know, not to generalize, but generally speaking, we like feelings of familiarity. We like systems, we like things that we can predict. Um, and so that's just kind of a recap. Um, I think we were going to touch on Maybe something. Yeah, so um, now what we didn't get to tap into last uh, podcast, what what happens if mm -hmm. um, you lose a person, whether it's in death, breakup or a friendship, but you didn't leave them on good terms because like, I guess even for me, um, if even if like I, if it wasn't a big problem or if it's just like something I might have like just said in a very minor way that it, it, it can haunt you. So what happens if like, let's mm -hmm. say there was a huge mm -hmm. like breakout, like a fight or something. And then the next day the person dies. How do you live with that? Yeah. Uh, um, and so luckily there is some research on that very topic. Um, and so it has been shown that the relationship does impact that grieving process. And especially if there's a lot of anger in the relationship, you know, whatever the situation might be, um, this can be seen in like a relationship with someone who um, abused substances, you know, whatever the situation where you really love the person, but you know, it was an unhealthy relationship, whatever it might be. Um, it has been shown that there is a delay um, and so like the initial absence of expressed grief. Um, and so it's not like the typical acute grief that you see kind of mentioned above, but there is this initial absence of it. Um, and over time, these negative feelings of guilt about past experiences might start to arise, including lost time to resolve um, conflict, missed opportunities. Um, and so those kind of more negative feelings of wanting to almost like edit the past are very common. And especially if the person has passed, you know, it's really, you know, you cannot necessarily edit the past, but I'm going to go into a few things um, later on as to kind of how you can help your brain kind of process those more difficult relationships that do have that kind of air of guilt complications because um, there are ways to move forward in a more loving way because um, with those situations which we'll discuss a little bit later you know it's also about acknowledging you know the positive parts rarely um, in connections is there just solely negative you know um, and I think when someone passes away you know we go through all the emotions but 
you know, acknowledging some of the positive moments can be helpful as well. And we'll, you know, get back into that a little bit more. I would say um, I had a professor tell me, and I really truly believe this because I'm also someone who's not great on timing. Um, I'm a little awkward with timing and I don't really do it to levels that are like, socially normal um and so i really abide by the rule which it could be weird but like there's never a wrong time if the person's living and you have a conflict there's never a wrong time to circle back if you still have those feelings of like detached something's off something's a riff it's causing me distress it's been causing me distress for six seven eight nine years whatever it might be even if it's like totally out of the blue and the res you're not responsible for the response on the other end, but if it is on your plate and on your brain, you could be like, Catherine said, it's never too late to circle back. You know, if you have a conflict with someone that you knew 10 years ago and you're like, crap, you know, that's weighing you down. Send them a note. Sorry, I know this is totally out of the blue. You don't even have to say because you're still living and I don't want to have like <laughs> your grief response and you're dead. Um, don't have to go into that, um, but you can always, if you want you that's, have to. that's awesome that's i feel like it's a good a really good thing to live by but it can be so scary to like be the first person to reach out and you know like put yourself out there but i think you know practice makes progress not perfect yeah i think mm -hmm. i think it's also it scary. like yeah. something we hesitate so much with if you know we know that death is guaranteed but I guess it's also like our ego and pride that come in the way with like trying to circle around, um, like circle back and try to like mend that relationship and try to like, you know, be on good terms, especially with like, you know, if your parents are getting older and you know it's going to happen. And like sometimes we don't have like, I guess like uh, a warning. Sometimes it could happen from an accident. Sometimes it could be as scary as cancer. But just like you said, like it's never too late um for the time being like to circle back um but i i do think that if you kind of take away it's harder to like do than to say but if you kind of like maybe not completely take away your pride and ego because it is like a human nature thing but like mellow it down a bit and try to humble yourself a little bit then um i guess it's easier to like at least show that you care about that person and if it's hard for you to be direct with that person like if you're not a confrontational person and you you can't find yourself saying hey i'm sorry for the things that happened in the past maybe do it with your actions or do it with like small things that you know is going to make the other person happy and you know at the end of the day people are going to remember how you make them feel um so i i guess like, mm -hmm. like an alternative for those of you who are not like very confrontational um it could be like just doing small things that you know are important to them that they're going to remember mm -hmm. and i think i think that's gorgeous i just had a big you know fight with my best friend and we've been best friends since what like seven years old so she's kind of like the left brain to my right brain she's an engineer and i'm all feelings you know therapeutic person and I think the really gorgeous thing, and I will make note, not every relationship is worth fighting for. Sometimes things end because they're not good, you know? And I made note of that. Like, sometimes you have to, you know, not speak to a person because they're abusing substances, um, you know? And sometimes those people die. And, you know, I had, you know, that was my experience with one of my parents, you know? And I had to go through all the feelings. But, you know, 
protect yourself. Sometimes there are reasons that a relationship needs to have some breathing room and some distance. And you can't always fix. Well, you can't always circle back in real time unless it's worth fighting for. And I think, um, you know, especially with breakups, is this something that we broke up because we needed to? Is this like something that we, it could die if the person's still living? Is this something that just like needs to die so I can open a new door? You know, some things do just need to die and rest, like let it go. And I think that's with some of our relationships, but there are relationships where there's a really awkward fight, but it's worth fighting for because there's more good than bad, you know? And so like, I think the really beautiful thing I experienced this year was a breakup with my boyfriend and also a fight with my best friend. And the difference was the boyfriend will never speak to again. And I'm a minute, a long, long minute, multiple months, um, pretty much the whole six months of grieving, I will say, um, to kind of come to that conclusion. But with my best friend, we fought for each other. And like what you said, Nisha, it's like doing the little things. So we started doing little things for each other. Like that was a relationship that was for and we did circle back and we you know started doing those things i think it totally depends i I love that i love what you just said. i wanted to add that like i think it's important to recognize that maybe like even even though that we say you know everything happens for a reason sometimes that fight needs to happen for you to realize i don't want this person in my life but the thing is um oh did her thing freeze oh okay so um i was gonna say that like it's important to assess, I guess, if a fight, like if um, something is really worth fighting for, which I agree with you on that. Um, Because sometimes we might just be like wasting all this energy for nothing, because at the end of the day, people are going to remember like, how crazy the fight was, but they're not even gonna remember what brought them to that place in the first place. Like, why did that fight even happen? No, they're going to remember happened during the fight but they're not going to remember what caused the fight so sometimes it's like you it takes more discipline than like I guess it sounds but like how do you I guess like how do you assess if this is important to fight for like like how do you know when you should you know integrate your your feelings into um the situation like okay i feel some type of way about this um is this worth it or is it not worth it and how do you like move forward in a in a healthy way um if your feelings are involved even if the situation isn't that crazy if there's something that's bothering you is it like how do you know if it's worth fighting for i think i think you do know I think it takes a minute and it kind of takes some like quiet time and a total reevaluation, but also just see kind of where it takes. I think think we have a lot of like reactions and like what I've done that has kind of helped me. And this is just kind of like not grief related, but in terms of like conflict related. Um, And my best friend's really good about this. Like we wouldn't be having conversations when we were in those heightened states because we didn't make sense. We were like, you know, freaking out. Our brains were on, you know, lizard brain. We were both pissed, not functioning. And so I once had, it was actually a nun who told me, she's like, if you ever have a conflict with anyone, wait three days. The power of three. Like wait three days, give it a break. About three days to kind of process, evaluate, Um, And so I think that's at least in like an initial conflict situation that's more intense. Um, I give it some breathing room. I process, I reevaluate and really being in touch with yourself. And we're going to kind of get into that with like what to do post loss, because 
post loss, especially a big loss, a catastrophic loss, even like a breakup, whatever, wherever there is a loss of these key um, attachment figures, it is a time for a complete reevaluation. You're like, I, I use the word gutted a lot in the first episode, a really tr big loss does feel like you're being gutted. Um, but from that gutting, it's like, all right, where am I at? What what can I do? And there is kind of this opportunity for a new beginning, not in every category per se, but it does feel like that. Um, and so I don't know what, yeah, if you I, wanted to kind of go so into that or. I think this is kind of the main subject of this podcast, of this episode, I would say, since in the first episode, we discussed so much about the initial part, the what happens like right after, during the loss the after, like the aftershock the the gutting feeling but we didn't really go into the post initial shock what happens after what how do you deal with it two three four ten years after how do you deal with those feelings and what can you expect mm -hmm. after that initial shock yeah so i'm glad that you brought up kind of two three four or five years later because grief is something that as we discussed it's not something that's temporary it's not something to be completed those initial really intense acute grief feelings are not forever and if they are forever there is treatment for it and it's called prolonged grief treatment um formerly complicated grief treatment and it's an incredible treatment program and i'm actually going to pull some advice from that treatment program um in terms of moving forward but you know, the initial shock, aside from kind of like the biological definitions I was giving is um, there's an undermining of your self-confidence, self-image. Um, oftentimes, especially with death losses, any sort of loss is there's um, this sense that there is no control. It's like things are out of control. And with loss of control, you might feel that you cannot achieve the outcome that you desire. Um, so does that make sense the two? So if things are out of control, you know, this person died, that thing just ended, that thing blew up, like, we start feeling that we're not confident. And that's the, the exploratory system part. We're not confident that the things we go out to do will have the outcome that we want. And so that Actually, also I can interject. You made state. me think of something. Um, um, my boyfriend in during COVID lost his dad, like very suddenly. And I think when you mentioned control, it made mm -hmm. me think of um, what his experience was because his dad passed away in March, but for a while he was convinced that he passed away in mm -hmm. May. So he kind of lost like two months. He was like so in like out of control that he Disoriented. didn't even know when it happened. Like he totally blacked out, not blacked out, but you know, like was so disoriented for two months that he didn't even like he wasn't even aware what the reality mm -hmm. was yeah and i appreciate you bringing that up because there's also you know a big narrative to push of like you're not going crazy you are grieving and there is this big disconnect especially for a person in the acute grief stage where they're comp they feel detached from their past and their future and so it's like they're floating in this like space that like they don't feel like they can like participate in a world that's like unchanged by their loss when their whole world is obliterated and so it's this very weird connection of like you know, you lose these really formative attachments that kind of ground you. If you think about attachments, like grounding you to the earth. And so you're in this weird phase of like, not knowing what's going on in the future, not having that confidence that like what I want in the future I can achieve, 
but also like a disconnect from the past of like, you know, reframing everything in your brain of like, what was going on? What happened? Like, you know, especially if the relationship was, you know, if there was any sort of conflict in that relationship. Um, and so with that, there's this like great sense that balance will never return. Like I will never achieve equilibrium. It's these really kind of black and white feelings of like all or nothing. My grief is at a 10 at all times. Um, and this, of course, can create concentration problems at school, you know, hard to complete a task, any simple assignments. Um, there's been like, even in the research, feeling like a fog. I very much equated my acute grief to having a concussion. That's honestly how it felt. I couldn't concentrate. I wanted to sleep all the time. Um, and again, we kind of discussed in the last episode, the difference, how this is different from depression because you can still have those, you know, moments of joy whereas in depression it's more you know prolonged sadness but um you know i think even when i mentioned that i work with a lot of students who are at risk of academic dismissal i would say at least 90 percent of these students had a death loss um and i can almost now predict based on the the transcript of who had a death loss and it's almost become like very like and you know and these students of course feel like a failure they feel alone but if you look at trends it's like someone had a death loss, especially if a parent, I can predict where their GPA is going to land in three months, you know? And so I wanted just to highlight that of saying like, no, you're not alone. This is pretty universal reaction to a death loss um, and normalizing it and not punishing further, you know, the bereaved person and isolating them. Um, but, you know, just a few more simple things, not simple things, but like kind of thematic, um, just to be mindful of time, um, just general loss, feeling disconnected from your community, being on autopilot, needing to operate on autopilot. Um, like I said before, being feeling detached from your past and your future, um, feeling like you have no purpose, like you're just floating, which can make interacting with people really difficult, which, which can also actually fuel like substance misuse, especially if you have to go to like a gathering and you feel like I have nothing to give to this room of people. Sometimes, you know, that might lead a person to abuse substances to feel more comfortable because that kind of interaction might feel like really off during that acute grief stage. Um, a feeling of unsure of how to be in the world. Like I think we talked about in the first one, like your assumptive worldview is off, you know, not wanting to answer the phone, um, not wanting to talk to your friends. Um, and fear that your emotions might be too off-putting to others, or just maybe you were having a lot of intense grief reactions and your friends weren't being supportive and they're like, we don't want to hear about this anymore. We don't want to hear about this anymore. And, you know, especially with losses that are disenfranchised, like a breakup, you know, I definitely had my fair share of, I've heard this, Catherine, stop talking about it, get over it. But the grief research shows, and I was like, no, look at the literature. I need to discuss this, to process this. Like, I didn't go into that, but it is, we'll kind of get into it. Having a non-judgmental person or space to share the story of the loss is so healing for your brain. It's actually part you know, of the, kind of the grief The feelings you're process. describing, um, I think, I watched a movie recently. It's called Manchester by the Sea. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, mm, it's no. Casey Affleck. It's really good. But I think what you were describing was so similar, what they showed in the movie. He, the, the main character in the movie, um, lost like experienced a really big loss that he felt very guilty for and then he experienced another loss and I think they maybe I don't maybe it's just like my opinion but I think they really portrayed the feelings that you've described really well in this movie so if anyone's like interested in 
learning more. Maybe you can give this movie a watch. It's called Manchester by the Sea. I think it's on Amazon. Manchester what is it? By I the need to sea. write this down. Manchester by the Sea. Okay, I'll just remember mm, yeah. soccer. I'm typing um, it in. Manchester. I also wanted to add something. Okay. I feel like, um, I think coping with grief, it's, it's a, it's a huge thing, but also some people might take it kind of, they might just get like confused about what that means. So like, for instance, like when I think about coping, I think of, okay, like, let me find a distraction. But sometimes like distractions will just lead you in the wrong direction. Like if, for instance, like if you go out with friends because you're depressed about something that like you lost, right? And then you guys are drinking and it's now it's like a now every Friday thing and then every Friday and Saturday, Sunday thing. And one problem that you've had with like coping with um, grief is now turning into another problem because now maybe you might have a drinking problem or maybe you're starting to spend the t um, your time with like wrong people and you're getting into like partying and clubbing and like all these different things. And I think it's like important to also like assess from the back end like what you're doing to cope with grief because like it, it, it sounds nice okay like let me go hang out with friends but sometimes like if you're going to too many social gatherings and you're, you're you know you're like taking in different substances and stuff that can lead to another problem so I guess I think it's important to recognize that like how you cope and like like maybe how much you do uh, certain things. And I also wanted to add that I feel like, um, I feel like a good way to also cope is to understand the situation, which is obviously like a lot harder than it, it seems. But um, it like, naturally, like your grief is going to, you know, come back at you in the future, or yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get how because one thing is gonna poke and it's gonna like, you're gonna re get reminded by it. And I think if you try to like, you know do a lot of research and say okay how did this happen why didn't this work out why did this person get this disease or just i guess educate yourself on the topic you might feel more comfortable and then you're easier to cope with mm -hmm. like something that i'm usually afraid mm -hmm. of like my fears right like if i have like friendship loss or if i'm getting disconnected with like a family member or really anybody like if, if something is is happening in my life i try to like watch as many youtube videos as i can to like normalize myself with like okay this this is not like too far from reality this can happen and the more i understand it like the less it would impact me and the less it would hurt which is easier to cope with yeah and i think um that is actually like a perfect transition because the first step actually in the complicated grief treatment program is psychoeducation and it is just sharing information um, with the breed person about like, what is grief? You are not going crazy, you know? And I think it's so amazing that you touched on that of like, yeah, let's reevaluate. How are we, how are we, what are we doing to handle this, this situation? Um, and I found it really interesting, um, you know, coming out of my own grief and just researching the different bereavement um, resources on different campuses. And this is when I was at Columbia, and I found that a lot of campuses have, you know, um, the counseling center, but also like the very next link is like substance, you know, hotline, um, you know, et cetera. There wasn't any like grief specific groups. Um, it was more like, let's deal with the symptom that's going to arise inevitably six months down the line because your loss was never touched. And so I also read a lot about, you know, 
it was more common for people in general, but students to show up to counseling for issues with sleep, issues with substance misuse, you know, these different symptoms that were arising from this unaddressed root, which was this grave loss. Um, and I think what you said and like the education piece is so important because if we don't know what's going on, we will try so desperately to find our equilibrium as fast as possible. But if someone's like, this is the worst pain you'll ever feel as a human creature, you know, this is an awful feeling, you know, maybe that person won't grab that drink. Maybe the person, you know, won't try to put that immediate Band-Aid on it. If they know that these feelings are not going to pass in a day, aren't going to pass in a week, aren't going to pass in three months. If the person knows, I think if we know, and can almost like know what's going to happen, like what you said, like, like reevaluate but we need the tools and we need the language um, and having that language is kind of also like that first step um, when dealing with, with you know especially a person who has um, prolonged grief disorder so these are like people who are stuck in their acute grief six months one year 10 years you know and they cannot get out of the loop and that, I think is, that also is actually the first goes step back that to use. what we mentioned in the beginning that not the saying that everyone copes in their own way sometimes i think that can lead to normalizing drinking problems or like normalizing unhealthy behaviors because you might think oh this is just mm -hmm. the way i'm grieving this is just the way i'm coping with this feeling mm -hmm. and this is just temporary but it might not be temporary or it might be lead to a different problem so i think this goes goes in hand with the grieving in your own way but also being aware that not everything is your own way of grieving that everything is a healthy way of grieving i feel like people think it's like yeah. okay to just like shut off their feeling because it's better to feel nothing than feel pain and i think it's like um sometimes if you don't i guess put yourself out there and go to that therapy class or like go talk to your friends like the right friends because sometimes people can give you the wrong advice or like if you don't take like active effort then sometimes you end up sabotaging yourself because now you're not 100% sure about this problem now you're making your own reasons for the problem because now you have nothing better to do because you're not educating yourself so what are you going to do you're going to sabotage yourself you're going to say okay you know what this happened because I did it that happened because I did it and now you have this delusional mm -hmm. way of thinking because now like you're making yourself the center of the problem rather than actually understanding okay you know what this maybe this person had a condition or maybe that like there was something you know going over them that that like they reacted that way towards you instead of you feeling like you're always the problem you know so this also goes with like mm -hmm. if you have like an el elderly parent like sometimes like I have like a, a dad who like you know he has diabetes he has high blood pressure sometimes he could get very irritated and then I would think you know why am I like why am I always getting yelled at why is he always like I like so irritated by me am I like am I doing something am I like am I clicking the wrong button like what like I feel like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing like as a daughter you know like I'm I like talking to him I'm like trying to like be his friend I'm like not just trying to be like a like disappearing daughter and then I'm, I'm like wondering like why does he like I guess have these breakouts like so often and 
when I started like, you know, kind of educating myself and like also talking to like different people, like, you know, my sister, my mom, like, okay, this is just how, you know, he is because like after a certain point, like there's really nothing you can do about it. Like this person is suffering from a condition mm -hmm. and it's not them doing it. It's the condition speaking mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. Then now it started like, and now mm -hmm. when he does this, I don't even like put much mind to it. I'm like, Nisha, be quiet. Don't say anything. Five minutes, mm -hmm. give it 10 minutes, go mm -hmm. upstairs. You're going to go back down and nothing's going to happen again. You know? And I think, yeah, mm -hmm. like I, I would be and very reactive mm -hmm. and like, I feel like I wouldn't really understand the situation and it, it would just kind of lead nowhere. And this same thing goes with loss is like, when you don't understand the situation, it's going to lead nowhere. It's going to come back to you six months down the line, 12 months down the line, and it's just going to rehash. So I, Trying to put a stop to mm -hmm. it um, before is very important. Yeah. And also, I think understanding loss, and that also can help yourself give you grace. I know when I was a recent loss, it was a breakup, and I was, you know, getting a lot of pushback. Like I said, of, we don't want to hear the story again, blah, blah, blah. And I validated in my mind, like, nope. I'm allowed to continue to blab about this as much as I want for the next, you know, I even looked at my clock. I was like, it'll be six months to the dot on this day. And like, if I need to like you know, talk about this and that's when I just, I think I talked about this the first time I said, call a friend, call any friend, call all your friends. I reconnected with girls that I hadn't talked to in eight years. I was like any friendly ear, you know, how friends, you go through a horrible situation. They're like, anything you need, what do you need? And you were like, I got this. I'm not going to tell anyone what I need, but it's just like, it's nice to know. No, no. Take off the offer. Like get over your ego, get over your pride. When someone's like, do you need something? Be like, I need an ear. You don't even have to talk. I need an ear. I need an ear. And so like how many ears heard my breakup story? Oh my God, maybe 50. But I was like, I need to process this. The research shows I need to literally just say the damn story. Process this aloud. Talk about it. You know? have a non-judgmental person. Um, and so finding those sources and like, and giving yourself the grace, I'd be like, God, Catherine, like, why can't I shit? And I wouldn't, I wasn't being hard. Like you said, understand the situation, but this also can carry into being a really great friend and a great support. Like, whoa, this person is like really hung up on this X, Y, Z that they lost recently. But like being like, no, they're acute grieving. They need to process this. I can be a great resource. And so if we have like a tiny bit of time, I do have some like helpful things to say and unhelpful things to say. Um, but I know that you wanted to also kind of get into like a few more very tangible yeah. kind of processing ways. Like, do you want me to go like over those mentioned, different things? Um, in the beginning, actively moving forward. So one of those ways is talking to a friend and venting and finding that ear. So what mm -hmm. are other ways of, you know, actively moving out of that aftershock, moving out of that acute stage and into the life after. The life. Um, so I actually pulled these from the Complicated Grief Treatment Program. So it's a 16-week program. There's seven different themes. Um, so this is to help people get out of grief who are stuck in grief for, like, years. You know, this is, like, the most extreme form of grief um, when they're stuck in that heightened acute, you know, all encompassing, you know, it's the center stage of their world. So I thought it would be helpful to pull some of those things. Um, and the first one was, um, you know, just the sharing, sharing of information, psychoeducation. Here's grief. You're not going crazy, period. You can talk about everything that we discussed, like normalizing it, but also like normalizing it for yourself, normalizing it for a pal, normalizing it for a parent. I think you should 
said it beautifully, like normalizing the condition, also normalizing the grief. Like you're going to feel like crap. You're going to feel the worst you've ever felt ever because your, your brain is all unwired. Your immune system's all jacked up. You know, your, your sense of left, right. Like what you were saying Bella, the month of the year, like be gentle with that person person um having a grief diary this was the second thing that they do in the grief treatment and so this is what this looks like is like when you're in that really big grief stage um just doesn't have to be anything elaborate i know when i was in it writing was helpful um but also sometimes it was not um but to make it super simple and super just basic throughout your day you write when the grief symptoms when you're feeling the shittiest so the grief was the highest one to 10. When was it a 10? What time was it a 10? What was going on? One sentence. And when was your grief your lowest? Was it when you woke up? Was it when you had breakfast? Like when can you think that you were most, huh? And what this does to your brain and to your body is to show you that, wait, I'm not always at a 10. There are times when I'm not at a 10. Because when you're in it, and if you've been in it, you know what it feels like to be in it. It feels like you're at a 10 for six months. And like, even if I had to recap it, I'll be like, I was crying in the bathtub for three months and then the couch for three months. Like, that's really what I believe is that I was always upset, always gutted, always crying. But realistically, you're not. There are times when you'll feel like total crap. There are times in the day when you're like, huh, I can breathe. Thank God. And then I think what Nisha said, it will hit you like a brick. And that's normal. Even 10 years down the line, if there's an anniversary, a memory, it will come back. But what this grief diary helps you do is that, wait, I've, I've done this before. I know this before. And I do know it's going to pass. So do I need to go do that coping behavior, that numbing, that band-aid that wasn't helpful? Do I need to go party? Do I need to do X, Y, Z? And it could be whatever. Numbing comes in many, many, many forms. Shopping, over, wherever the word over, I say it needs to be over overdoing over caregiving over spending over blah, blah um, over blah, blah. i also wanted to add i feel like sometimes um like when we're coping right we kind of feel a little bit of guilt when we're kind of doing the thing that we should be doing which is talking to people we feel we're trauma dumping or like maybe mm -hmm. this person you know getting affected by this mm -hmm. because i'm always like having these negative conversations and um maybe this is affecting their day-to-day -day life because they don't want to answer that call now because they don't want to like have to you know repeat the same things that they have to like 10 to 15 sometimes i get afraid mm -hmm. of that because i'm like okay you know what i rather hold this in mm -hmm. than like you know call this person again to talk about the same thing so but then like I started like, mm -hmm. just like how you said, um, when you feel, um, I think you said something about when the, the grief is feeling um, a little bit more lightweight when you're doing certain things. And I actually realized like when I'm going to, when I'm, when I'm going through something, um, specifically when I'm with certain friends, it feels like everything just goes away. And I, wow, like, you know, maybe I should mm. keep doing this. So then, um, I just kept doing it. I kept, you know, talking to different people. It doesn't matter how many people, like you said, like if I'm going through something, maybe 50 people have like heard about my like, mm -hmm. like different problems. And it's like, when you start, like when you start feeling shameless and stop feeling like, I guess, like, like you're being selfish to the other person, when you start realizing, okay, this person is just mm -hmm. ears, they just want to, they're just trying to hear you out. And they're like, kind of like moral support, then mm -hmm. eventually, like, you're like, when you're 
by yourself, you're going to remember their voice. You're going to remember, oh, you know, this, this, another person said that. And it's going to get better. Even, like, even if you have to speak to that person 30 times, 40 times, like, I remember when I was going through the worst part of my life, I was like, talking to my friend, maybe like, day and night, day and night, day and night. Eventually, I was like, you know what, I'm not gonna go through this crap anymore. I'm going like, I'm so much better than that. Like, this person is absolutely right about everything that they said. It's not that like, you're an influenceable person. It's that sometimes like, you need to hear something like, whether it's a loss, whether it's a breakup, whether it's anything, you have to hear something from like an outside point of view. Because you're always going to be like, who, when you think about things just by yourself, like if you have no one to talk to, your thoughts are always going to be like foggy. Mm -hmm. They're going to be filtered. They're going to be biased. You're only really thinking about yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And when you're, when you have a third person point of view, they're seeing things from like this end, that end, the bottom, the top, you know, they like, they know it's more accurate what they're saying. So it, it like definitely helps with grief more. And what I'm like trying to say about this is like, you know, you shouldn't, you should be shameless. You shouldn't feel like, okay, talking this person's ear away. Yeah. Like this is what people are here for, you know? And the reason why other people don't do it is because maybe they just don't feel the level of comfort, not because it's wrong. Mm -hmm. I think a way to combat feeling shameful, and this is something my, one of my close friends does really, really well, starting the phone conversation, ask because she's a therapist immediately ask the person on the other end do you have time to hold space for me before she even talks that's the first thing she says she'll shoot me a text had a really hor horrible day had a bad phone call with boy xyz whatever it might be do you have space are you do you have the space to hold for me right now that's the first thing you ask then you don't have to worry about like yes i also heard the term like stop trauma dump thing and i'm like ah, blah 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 so then I was like, okay, Catherine, you're right. You are trauma dumping. You are, you are doing, you're not dumping. You, you were just expressing because I, I express a lot. But then I was like, wait, I had that friend, like you said, who does it really, really well. You know, she'd be like, do you have space to hold for me? I just need five minutes. And I'd be like, totally, I'm all yours, go. You know, and if I was feeling like total shit, I'd be like, uh, call the next friend. I'm in the gut. I'm in the gutter. I'm not going to help you right now. I'd not even say I'm not going to help you. I'd be like, I'm, I'm fried i don't think i could be like a good support right now but just like like you said shameless being like can you hold space for me that's something that you can overcome that thing um i do want to be mindful of times so that we have 10 minutes there's a few more things that are like specific steps i just wanted to touch on um and then maybe for like the helpful things to say not to say i can yeah, just send that over and you could just like um, make a post about so it or add a link we could do um for everyone who's watching and everyone who's listening, like maybe later on, we can combine uh, a whole bunch of resources into one link or one post. And then we can mm -hmm. also share those resources about what to say and what not to say to someone who's grieving and share that with everyone. Yeah. So if, to anyone who's interested, we will be releasing that shortly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So just because I see we have like nine minutes in the other because we have two. So there's five more things really quick I just want to touch on. Um, and I won't go on my tangents, which I always do. So the third one that they use in complicated grief treatment is developing aspirational goals. Um, and so like I said before, when you're in this like really gutted stage, you can be disconnected from your past, your future, don't really know who the hell you are, where you're going, feel like everything is random. And so realigning you with you, like I said, it's like a new beginning. What, what, 
what do I care about? If my whole world was revolved around this person, which I've been there, done that, you know, wait a minute, what are my goals? What do I like to do? Because I mean, there are times when, especially if you're in a close relationship, you know, you can kind of lose, like you say, you lose yourself in love, you know, you kind of get back to it. Like, what are my interests? What are my values? What makes me unique? Why am I here? You know, those kind of existential questions, but putting them into tangible goals, maybe one goal, maybe two goals, things that you're like, wait, these are things that I've wanted to do, aspirational goals. So developing those goals, writing it down somewhere, but starting to think about the next step. And that will start turning on, like we talked about earlier, your exploratory system. That's that's what we're doing. We're always like, we're safe. And then when we feel safe and secure, then we explore and we create. Remember that safe, secure, explore, create. And you'll notice that when you're feeling more secure and you're attached with your relationships yourself, you'd be like, oh, wait, I'm being really creative today. I want to do this. I'm not afraid of doing this, you know, you know, and it's like, it, it comes more naturally. You don't feel like you have to over prepare for every single step you take. Um, number four, developing um, connection and community. Um, Nisha, you said that beautifully. If you're in your head, it's going to be foggy. It's not going to be great. And it's not like if you only have you to bounce yourself off with, Lord, God help you. Like, seriously, like, I will pray. I do. I will make as like one of my prayers specifically for those who are isolated and bereaved, because I honestly, it is the hardest thing to go through when you're grieving. And I, to compound that with doing it alone, I on it, let's just not do it. Let's not make other people do it. Let's really help each other out. Um, if you've been through it, you know it's really tricky. So I would just really encourage, you know, people to really connect and be an ear, be something, anything to a person who's in that gutted stage. Um, because we all go through it at some point. Really, really, really hard to do, especially alone. So strong social connections is actually like the number one marker for, you know, improved grief response, grief reaction, grief, just like feeling less heavy. And I think Nisha, you said there's people that you go and you feel less heavy, like things just don't, it's not dominating your brain anymore. And so I think having one person, two people, anyone, um, maybe this was for, I don't know what order I'm going in anymore. Anyways, the next one is just like revisiting the story of the loss. And so this is actually something that they use in the treatment to help people confront the reality of the end. Um, and so, like I said, this is with someone who's supportive, non-judgmental, um, and this shows to lower distress over time um, and makes you more comfortable with repeating the story, especially if it was a death loss that was tragic or even a breakup. Like, whatever the loss was, repeating the story over time makes, you know, it feel less intense. Um, the next one is just revisiting the world. Hello, world, it's me again. Um, like we said in the beginning, it makes you want to isolate. Your exploratory system's not totally in par with, like, you know, original use. So you could see people who are, like, totally sparkly and outgoing and, you know, wah, wah, wah. And then something traumatic loss happens and you don't see them for 10 months. I've done that. But like, And I had all my close friends have Find My on my iPhone because they'd be like, okay, this happened to Catherine. Is she going to leave the country for three months? Like, this is this is a thing. Like, so anyways, revisiting the world, going back in the world. And so what they do in the treatment is you create a hierarchy of things that scare you. This might be going to a restaurant, going to the restaurant that you went to with your deceased person, like going to the movies, going to a social gathering can be really difficult, you know, going to class, going to campus, um, you know, going to an area of New York that is triggering for you, whatever it might be, create a hierarchy, start with easy, go harder. Don't need to go hard first. 
hurts unless you're like, you know, really trying to like make yourself more painful. Um, but you know, create a hierarchy, revisit the world at your own time, at your own pace, but do it. it becomes easier over time. Don't stay isolated. Um, and then the last one is just working with the memories of the past. And so let me see, I have this. Okay. Something that they use in the treatment, um, which again, this is more, you know, in a treatment setting. So all these things can be adapted, but again, these are all done with like professional. And so, you know, I don't want people to like, like, you know, give themselves therapy. These are just suggestions for different things. Um, but it's just kind of like having an imagined conversation, you know, with that deceased person, um, or that person. And so like, I think this helps you kind of navigate the positives and the negatives and putting it into reality. Um, and this kind of helps you get more grounded with the past and the future. And so like if you had a horrible relationship or a horrible situation that totally blew up or something ended the way you didn't want to, a career, uh, a class, a job, um, a friendship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you know, whatever the loss may be, it could be so amplified that this was total shit. The whole thing was crap based on the ending. But understanding that throughout the time of the attachment, there was a lot of good. Is that good worth fighting for the relationship to continue? Maybe, maybe not. But it's healthy to understand that there are good and positives. I mean, good and negative. Um, and so just sometimes, you know, even if it's like a loss, if the person is deceased, um, you know, writing a letter from their perspective um, could be helpful. It could not be helpful. You know, again, whatever helps you. If you don't like writing, if you don't like thinking about, you know, third person narrative, don't do that. You know, just do other things. Um, stay in your own head, do your own journaling. But that's just something that they use in the treatment. Again, asterisk. Um, this is used in a therapeutic setting. But I think some of these things, when pulled apart, thematically speaking, could be incredibly helpful. Um, instead of just isolating yourself kind of on your own terms and just making things a little bit more tangible. But um, in totality, kind of like the treatment goals are just comprehending the reality of the loss. You know, let's live in reality again. Redefining our relationship with whatever was lost. Seeing possibilities and positive things in the future. You know, seeing things as positive again. Like being optimistic about things that are to come um, and adaptation. We can often lose ourselves in the emotional pain where we think that the whole day is a 10. But that's why I brought up like the journaling, like confronting the pain. There's going to be pain from 9 to 12, confronting it and then setting it aside and doing something else. Um, but that's kind of what if you have interest in kind of what that program is, um, you can go to Columbia University Center for Complicated Grief, Prolonged Grief Treatment. That those are things pulled from that. Um, I see we have like two minutes, so I'm gonna ooh, I'm gonna stop talking. <laughs> Thank you so much for all this um, useful information. I think a lot of people can benefit from this. Um, so um, to conclude this episode, um, I just want to say again, thank you so much, Catherine, um, for taking the time to speak. Um, with us about this topic. I think this topic is so important. It could help so many people. Um, and just sharing like your wisdom with the audience. And I also wanted to um, add if anyone wanted, if anyone has any questions, um, you could reach out to us on this Instagram. Actually, we have it's on um, brew pause and you could just send us a quick DM if you want, or you could also email um, our um, 
office as well. Um, it's joy.allison at baruch.cuny.edu or visit us in person at our office. It's in the vertical campus on the third floor. It's 3241. And just stay tuned for our future episodes. Um, we'll always be posting our um, podcast, um, just advertising like probably like two weeks or one week uh, prior to the to the event so we're definitely going to have more and it's going to be on this instagram the next time we have um any more podcasts so stay tuned and thank you so much for joining yeah thank you Catherine, and i look forward i hope we can work together in the future again because i feel like we can make a podcast about like every single sentence or like every single topic that we've mentioned i think we can make like a whole episode about every single one of them so yeah absolutely so we can work again in the future and you know Aww. just keep helping people and creating this space for people to learn about their loss absolutely. and continue like work with them in their um journey to actively moving forward and i also wanted to mention that if anyone is interested in joining um a support group or would be interested if we did form one let us know because um we may be able to create a group um under actively moving forward for and on this campus and you know create more of a space for students to deal with their grief so if anyone is interested let us know and we can work it out work it out woo thank you gals thank, thank you. you bye, bye.